Isaiah 35, verse 1, the wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom like the crocus. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it, the majesty of Carmel and Sharon. They shall see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God. Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. With the recompense of God, he will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. For waters break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand shall become a pool and the thirsty ground springs of water. In the haunt of jackals where they lie down, the grass shall become reeds and rushes. And a highway shall be there, and it shall be called the way of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it. It shall belong to those who walk on the way. Even if they are fools, they shall not go astray. No lion shall be there, nor shall any ravenous beast come up on it. They shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there. And the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. This is the word of the Lord. So, um, as I mentioned a minute ago, during the Advent season, we're looking each week at a different part of Isaiah and considering how the message of Christmas is a message of hope. It's a message of hope for the sorrowful. It's a message of hope for the hurting. And today we want to think about the idea or the truth that Christmas is a message of hope for the homeless. And so let me ask you this. How many of you have ever felt homesick? Maybe you can think about a time where you felt a deep sense of homesickness. For me, when I think about homesickness, I think about Thanksgiving 2002. In 2002, on Thanksgiving Day, I was with my friend Kyle... And we were by ourselves in a center city bar in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. No one else that we knew was there. And we were sitting at the bar, not eating turkey, not eating ham, but eating a, at best, average hamburger and watching the Cowboys beat the Redskins. By the way, the score was 27 to 20. I still remember that. That says something about me, I suppose. And uh, I remember feeling a deep sense of homesickness. Now, I had felt homesick before in my life from time to time, but because this had been a hard year for me, and because it was the first Thanksgiving of my life where I didn't spend it with my family, in that particular instance, I felt so much a longing to be home. You know, every Thanksgiving before 2002, I had spent around my family and around friends. I had always watched the Dallas Cowboys with my dad. And, you know, like many of us do, we would fall asleep midway through the fourth quarter and uh, a turkey-induced coma, right? And uh, I missed that. And I remember this deep desire simply to feel like I was at home, a deep desire to be at home. And I bet that all of us, if we're old enough, have had some experience like that before, where we felt where we felt like we're exiles, so to speak, where we felt a sense of restless homesickness. And we've been thinking during Christmas that the holiday season will often increase rather than decrease that sense, the sense of pain or the sense of hurt or the sense of sorrow that all of us from time to time feel might be, might be exacerbated during the holiday season. 
And here's what we want to think about together this morning as we use Isaiah 35 as a starting point. The story of Christmas, the message of Christmas, and really the message of the gospel is about God rescuing people out of their homelessness. It's about God rescuing people out of their homesickness, about God rescuing people out of exile. Because homesickness is actually just a symptom of a deeper spiritual condition that we all are in. And that's this, that we're never really, truly at home in this world. And Christmas actually speaks hope into that reality. Christmas shows us God's answer to our longing to go to our true home. That's what Isaiah 35 is about. Isaiah is full of what Christians call messianic prophecies. He wrote these words 700 plus years before Jesus Christ was born in ancient Palestine. And Christians believe that Isaiah is foretelling or prophesying what's going to happen at the coming of Jesus. We understand that these prophecies are about the future king who will come and rescue and redeem God's people. And Christians believe that all of the prophecies of Isaiah have their yes, they have their amen in Jesus Christ, both in his first coming and in his second coming. And so these ancient words of God spoken through Isaiah, give, they give us hope. I really want you to hear that today and to believe that. They give hope for you if you're sorrowful. They give hope for you if you're hurting. They give hope for you if you have a sense of restless homesickness, even today. So let me summarize the main idea this morning like this. We've already begun to get into it a little bit, but here's the way I want you to understand it. Christmas is the story of God bringing us home out of exile. That's what Christmas is about, and that's what Isaiah 35 points us towards. Three points I want you to see. Israel's exile and homecoming, which we'll look at Isaiah 35 for. Your exile and homecoming, and Jesus' exile and homecoming. Okay? So here we go. Israel's exile and homecoming. Isaiah 35 is a prophecy about the Old Testament people of God, the people of Israel, about their eventual homecoming out of exile. Verse 10 is the key. Look with me there. There Isaiah writes, The ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. They will come home. Zion is a word for Jerusalem. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy. Sorrow and sighing shall flee away. Now, this verse had its initial fulfillment in Israel's return from exile in Babylon to their home in Jerusalem. You can read about that story in the Bible in books like Second Chronicles and Ezra and Nehemiah. But this verse and all of chapter 35 will have its ultimate and final fulfillment in the return, in the coming of Jesus himself. So Isaiah 35 is all about hope for Israel in their homeless and homesick condition. Look with me just for a second at how this chapter speaks of that. In verses 1 and 2, the idea is that someday the glory and goodness of the Lord will fill this world in such abundance that the natural order will be renewed. The wilderness will not be a wilderness any longer. That's what we see there in verse 1. The desert will become a beautiful garden of flowers. 
The places mentioned there in verse 2, Lebanon and Carmel and Sharon, were all very fertile, green places in the ancient world. And so what we read here is that one day when God enters into this world and does his work of redemption, the actual physical order of this world will be renewed. It will be made beautiful again. Maybe a mental image will help you understand that. Most of us, perhaps, at some point or another, have driven I-10 West out of San Antonio into the vast nether regions of West Texas, right? And uh, once you get past Kerrville or Junction, it's a whole lot of barren nothingness for hundreds and hundreds of miles. And every time I make that drive, as a proud Texan, I think, even as a proud Texan, I think, man, this is hideous, (laughs) This is some nasty landscape. You almost expect a dragon to creep out over one of the mountains or something like that. And what Isaiah 35 is saying is that sort of the vast wildernesses that we see in this world will one day not just be made inhabitable, but will be made beautiful. They will be lush and fertile and glorious again. And this happens, we read in verses 3 and 4, when God enters into this world. When he comes and brings his recompense and salvation, what we see there is that God is going to come in a special way to rescue and renew and restore this world. And it's going to have miraculous effects. Verse 5 and 6 talk about that. The eyes of the blind will be opened. The ears of the deaf will be unstopped. Lame people will walk. Mute people will sing. Waters will break forth in the wilderness. We will see streams in the desert, we read. And we read there in verses 8, 9, and 10 that this is a blessing that God's people alone will enjoy. Verse 9, no lion shall be there, nor any ravenous beast, but the redeemed shall walk there. The unclean shall not pass over it, we believe. It's the way of holiness. Here's the idea of Isaiah 35. One day, God is going to come in a special way to rescue, Israel was going to hear this, to rescue Israel and to renew and restore the world, to make everything whole and beautiful again. Now, Christianity teaches that this is what Jesus does in his advent, in his coming. God, in Jesus, comes down into the world. God makes himself visibly present in the person of Jesus Christ. That is what Christmas is all about. In Jesus, God will do this. God will end oppression. God will bring peace on earth. God will make his world whole again. And Jesus's ministry that we read about in the gospels was him ushering in the kingdom of God described here in Isaiah 35. The ministry of Jesus is him bringing the future world into the present world. And we believe that one day Jesus will return and finish what he began in his first coming. And so a major theme in Isaiah, a major theme in all of the Bible really, is coming home out of exile, is the longing for our future world to be made new. A major theme in the Old Testament is Israel coming out of exile. They're coming out of Egypt. They're coming out of Babylon. They're coming out of Rome, even in the New Testament story. There's a constantly simmering hope for homecoming. A constantly simmering hope for homecoming in the scripture that Israel, as the people of God, experiences. And this chapter promises that God will bring his people home to a beautiful, glorious, fulfilled, and perfected world. So it's about Israel's homecoming and exile and homecoming. 
But here's something I really love about the Bible. Israel's story that we read about here in Isaiah 35 and elsewhere, the story of their exile and homecoming is a microcosm of the story of the entire human race. The story of Israel is actually a reflection and a mirror of each of our individual stories and of our collective story as humans. We find, all of us find ourselves in the same situation as the Israelites that Isaiah was writing to almost 3,000 years ago. And here's how. All of us are, in a sense, exiled from our true home. All of us are, in a sense, homeless. That's what the Bible tells us about this world from its very beginning. Way back in the beginning of the Bible, in Genesis 1 and 2 and 3, we read that we lost our original home, the Garden of Eden and all that stuff. In Genesis 3, that place was a perfect home for humanity. It was the place we were made for. It was a place of peace. It was a place of wonder. It was a place of beauty. It was a place where man knew God and was friends with God and at home with God. But sin, which is rebellion against the king of the world who made us and who loves us, sin exiled humanity. Sin casts us out of our true home. Sin expels us. It expels us from the relationship that we were all made for, you see. Our relationship with our maker and our father, God. Sin casts us out of our home with God. Sin ruptures our fellowship with God. So whenever the Bible speaks about the exile of God's people Israel, it's a picture for us of the exile that we all experience spiritually due to our sin, due to our rebellion and brokenness. Sin brings exile from our true home. Psalm 90 Verse 1, David writes this, Lord, you have been our dwelling place, our home. You have been our home for all generations. And what sin does is cast us out from the home that we were all made for. Now, what does that mean for you? What does that mean for me? How is this very, very old story of Eden and Adam and Eve and Genesis and Isaiah and Israel relevant for you today? Here's how. Any time that you feel alone, any time that you feel outcast, any time that you feel homesick, that you feel like you don't fit, that you feel lost, that you feel misunderstood, any time you feel a sense of exile, of being a nomad and a wanderer in the world, the reason is because you are not truly at home in this life. And you are not truly at home in this world. I mean, think about this. Any of us who have harmed a relationship that we have, which all of us do in this world, any of us who have harmed a relationship in our life with foolish behavior or with our selfish attitude or with mean things we've said, you feel a sense of alienation in that relationship, right? When it's harmed. You feel isolated. You feel cast out. You feel rejected to some degree or another in that relationship after there's conflict or after there's a fight. And the reason is because sin exiles us from relationships with one another, 
with this actual physical world, and most importantly, with God. We feel, we feel that way because um, sin is something that's constantly casting us out of the relationships we were made for. And we might feel like that more during the holidays than we normally do. The reason we feel that way is because all of us, deep down, because of the entrance of sin in the world, are spiritually homeless. C.S. Lewis, one of my favorite authors, famously says in Mere Christianity, If I find in myself desires which nothing in this world can satisfy, the only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. Have you ever felt that way? You feel that way today? Right now? This week? Do you have a longing for, for home? Let's play that out a little bit further. Um, what does it mean to be home? Marilyn Robinson is a fiction writer, one of my favorites, and in her book, Home, she writes this. I'm going to read this for you and then try to explain it. Listen to what Robinson writes. How to announce the return of comfort and well-being except by cooking something fragrant. That is what her mother always did. After every calamity of any significance, she would fill the atmosphere of the house with the smell of cinnamon rolls or brownies or with chicken and dumplings. And it would mean this house has a soul that loves us all. No matter what, it would mean peace if they had fought and amnesty if they had been in trouble. It had meant you can come down to dinner now. And no one will say anything to bother you unless you have forgotten to wash your hands. And her father would offer the grace, inevitable, with minor variations, thanking the Lord for all the wonderful faces he saw around his table. It's a moving word picture, I think. And what Robinson is trying to do is paint a portrait of home as a harbor. Home is a place of safety. Home is a place where you belong. Home is a safe haven. To be at home means to be somewhere where you fit. Another movie that's a Christmas classic more and more each year is Elf. You've seen Elf, right? It's about Will Ferrell who plays Buddy the Elf, who's not really an elf, he's a human. And Buddy is adopted by another elf and Santa as a baby and grows up in the North Pole. But Buddy is not an elf and so he doesn't fit in any of the elf places. His bed is far too small for him. His, the work that the elves do, he can't do because his hands are way too big and he doesn't have the ability or the dexterity to do elf work. When he sits on his adopted elf father's lap, he almost crushes his father because he's so momentous and large by comparison. And it becomes clear very early in that glorious and profound film. It becomes clear very early that Will Ferrell, Buddy, the elf, doesn't fit in the North Pole. And so the whole story begins by him going on a journey, seeking his true home because he doesn't fit in this place. Home is a place where you fit. Home is a place and a people that don't drain you, but nourish you and replenish you. By the way, that's why literal homelessness is so destructive and brutalizing. It's devastating, not just physically, of course it's devastating physically, but it's devastating socially and psychologically and emotionally and spiritually. 
And so what the Bible says is that we feel like we don't fit. We feel like our life is not a safe harbor or a haven. We don't feel at home because we live in a world that used to be our home but is no longer because of sin. Because this world has fallen. It's unable to meet our deepest longings and desires. We feel homeless because this world has become a desert. It's becoming a howling waste and wilderness and not a garden home anymore. We feel homeless because our own sins and failures exile us from true relationships, especially the one relationship we were all made to have, the relationship with God, our Father. Israel was exiled and longed to come home, and Israel's story is a picture of our own stories. We are all spiritually exiled. We are all spiritually homeless, which is why we have this sense of homesickness and longing and unrest. And we all need to go home. So what is the answer? Well, the answer is Christmas. Do you know that? The answer is Jesus. Let me show you how. Thirdly, Jesus is exile and homecoming. What is Christmas? Christmas is about Jesus going into exile for us. Christmas is about Jesus leaving his home so that we can be brought home. Christmas is about Jesus undergoing isolation and alienation from his home to ensure that we can return to the place where we really belong. Psalm 90, with God as our dwelling place. Jesus came to ensure that all that we see in Isaiah 35 will one day come true, fully and finally for us. Think about that with me. Isn't that what the birth narrative of Jesus is all about? The story of Christmas that we're so familiar with. Listen, we have so sentimentalized that story that we forget what it means. So let's get rid of the sentimentality for just a second. Where is Jesus born? In a palace? In Joseph and Mary's home? Three bedroom, two bath? No, Jesus is born in a cow barn. This is the light of light, very God of very God, the eternal word, the maker of all things who has from all eternity lived in glory and splendor and wonder and majesty with the Father and the Spirit. This is the one to whom we all owe our allegiance, our worship, our lives, our praise. This is the one who at this very moment sustains our lives and our breath. This is the one if he were for an instant to turn away from us, we would perish and plunge into the darkness. This is God. And God is born in the middle of cow manure and urine, in the middle of a dirty, nasty barn. This is not sterilized. This is not sentimentalized. Jesus didn't have a doula. Jesus doesn't have, and Mary doesn't have, an epidural. There are no rubber gloves. There are no clean sheets. There are no warm blankets. Joseph and Mary had not gone to a six-week childbirth seminar, (laughs) helping them understand what it's going to be like for the first couple of months that their newborn is with them. In fact, Mary is a 14 or so year old unwed mom who is going to have to live and deal with the shame of that stigma for the rest of her life. Listen, Christmas is about homelessness. Jesus is born homeless. 
We can't understand that if we sentimentalize it. This is supposed to be heart-rending and heartbreaking. And we sentimentalize it. You know, Away in a Manger, which in a lot of ways I really like the song. But the little Lord Jesus, no crying he makes. Yeah, right. He's crying. There's cows and sheep and donkeys there. Jesus is born in a state of poverty and destitution. Jesus wasn't just born away from home, you see. That's the point. Jesus was born to take our own homelessness upon himself. Jesus' birth is in exile. Do you know that? Jesus is exiled from his heavenly home, from the glory of heaven, from the closest of all close relationships, his relationship with his father. And what was Jesus' life like? What does Jesus say? This is recorded in all three of the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, which probably means that Jesus said this repeatedly. Foxes have holes, the birds have air, but what? The Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Jesus said, upon going to the town he grew up in, a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown. He says that right after the Nazarenes had booted him out. Jesus was born homeless, and Jesus lived a life of homelessness and exile and wandering. And Jesus' death is a picture of his exile. How does Jesus die? He's crucified. Well, what does that mean? Crucifixion is the most shameful way a person could possibly be killed in the ancient world. And the entire point of crucifixion is to isolate and exile the victim from any sense of worth, dignity, or humanity. And further, Jesus is exiled, or Jesus is uh, crucified outside the walls of the city. He's kicked out of his town, outside the city gate, and put to death in the most grotesque and horrific way possible. But even more significant than the physical way in which Jesus dies is what's happening spiritually to Jesus in his death. You see, in the death of Jesus, he is being cast out of his home, he's being exiled. By his father, he is taking the weight of our sin and the consequences of our sin, which, as we've seen, is exile, is homelessness, is expulsion, the curse of loneliness, the curse of homelessness, Jesus bears in his death. He takes the shame of our exile, the pain of our homelessness on himself there. We see that in the symbolism of the Old Testament. And you might know this even today, our Jewish friends celebrate Yom Kippur still. And Yom Kippur means the Day of Atonement. And in the Old Testament on Yom Kippur, uh, the people of Israel, the Jewish people, would send out a goat or a lamb. But typically it was a goat into the wilderness after the priest would lay his hand upon the head of the goat and pray for Israel's sins to be atoned for. Now, what's the significance of that? It's significant because it's saying that sin exiles. Sin sends us away from significant relationships. The penalty of sin is to be driven away. Here's the story of Christmas, the story of Jesus. Here's the story of the gospel. Jesus came into the world to willingly be driven away from his home, to be exiled, to be alone with the purpose of bringing you and me out of our exile, 
out of our loneliness, out of our homelessness. And because Jesus took the judgment of our sin in being alienated in his birth and in his life and in his death, we now know that he will come back to save us and bring us home. You see, Jesus has been raised from the dead. Jesus has ascended to the Father. He's experienced his homecoming already. He has gone through exile and gone home. And so we follow his path. We go back home by connecting to Jesus. That's what the gospel is. That's what Christmas is about. That's what Christianity teaches. Do you believe that? The answer to your homelessness, the answer to your sense of longing, the answer to this sense of homesickness that we so often feel is to see that Jesus was brutalized and marginalized and exiled to save us from eternal marginalization, from eternal exile, and to bring us back home. So how do you experience, how do you get a hold of the homecoming Jesus offers? Okay, two things real quick. One, you repent. Not a popular word, but an essential one. You repent, and what does that mean? That means that to experience the homecoming Jesus offers, you acknowledge that your own rebellion, that your own attempts to live life your way, that your own thinking that you're in control, that your own waking up each morning and determining what's most important, what's most significant, and what you're going to focus on all comes from what you desire, that that hasn't really gotten you anywhere healthy. But rather, it's actually caused damage both in your life and in other people's lives. And it's for sure damaged you spiritually because you feel a sense of homelessness, of restlessness. You don't feel like God's your father. You feel at most like he's perhaps just a judge or some sort of abstract deity in the heavens that you vaguely believe in. If that's where you find yourself, then repentance means acknowledging that to God, confessing your sin, saying the reason that I feel this way is because Now, I know this is complex, God. I can't figure it all out now, but I believe that the reason that I have this sense of longing and homelessness and all the brokenness in my life is because I'm a sinner. It's because I, like my first parents, Adam and Eve, turned away from you, and I still turn away from you every day. That's what it means to repent, is to realize what's reality for you. That's the first thing you have to do. And the second thing you have to do is turn away from your sin, repent, and run to Jesus. Believe. Believe this news, the way that Jesus rescues us out of homelessness isn't by, it's not by helping us to see how broken we are on our own and then saying, okay, you know you're messed up, now start taking steps back to me. No, it's by him coming and pursuing us. He entered into the story to bring us to himself. So we recognize that we can't fix ourselves. We recognize that we're broken. We recognize that we're homeless spiritually. We turn away from that life and we trust and accept that through Jesus, God has done everything necessary to take us home. Believe the gospel that Christ entered into this world to save you. That Christ died to forgive you and that Christ was raised to renew you. It's the best news in the world. And I'll tell you, and I say this often because it's true and I need to hear it. If you hear that and it's not the best thing you've ever heard, you can be sure that you've misunderstood it. Uh, Edward Sharp and the Magnetic Zeros are a band. Some of you probably have not heard of them, (laughs) but you might have heard their only song that's really popular. It's been on a lot of commercials. It's called Home, and it goes like this. I'm not going to sing it. I won't do that to you. 
Home, let me go home. Home is wherever I'm with you. Home, let me go home. Home is where I'm in love with you. It's a good love song. And what you need to get about Christmas and what you need to get about the gospel is not that that's the song you sing to God, but that's the song that God sings to you. God has done everything necessary to rescue you out of exile and to bring you out of your homelessness. All you need to do is believe that Christ has gone before you. Let's pray.